This is episode 64 of the Rising Man podcast with Oscar Perez, Gualitlanesi. Welcome back, risers. Good morning to you. Another riveting episode of the Rising Man podcast. I got a really special guest today. Dope conversation with my man, Oscar. But before I get to introducing him, as you're listening to this, I'm still holding space for those four brave men praying for their vision and clarity in their lives. And I can't emphasize how much joy it brings me to see men stepping forward and stepping across this threshold. This is my dream, my vision coming true. Because this is how we build community. This is how we build culture. This is how we create the change that we want to see in the world. This is how we rise up as men. And if you want to take the first step towards rising up into your own purpose, sign up to support the podcast on Patreon. At just $33 a month, you get private access to me, my power team, and a blooming community of other men on the rise. So head over to patreon.com slash risingman to get signed up today. And then someday you can join us out there on the mountains of Fast for Four Days as well. So let me introduce my guest for today. Oscar C. Perez is a teacher, spiritual counselor, youth mentor, motivational speaker, writer, and martial artist. What doesn't this man do? Am I right? He weaves together nearly three decades of experience in cross-cultural healing traditions, martial arts, Jungian psychology, storytelling, and wilderness immersion into creating personal transformation in the lives of his clients and students. He received his PhD from Brown University in 2011, where he studied how storytelling and ritual are used in cultures around the world to heal personal and intergenerational trauma. This dude is the real deal, let me tell you. What we talked about in this conversation was rising above the life and circumstances you were born into in order to live the life that you want. Oscar shared his story, his upbringing as a Latino man and the expectations that were placed on him in the society and creating a life that really aligned with him, not just the life that was meant for him. We talked about how Oscar found his truth and purpose on his journey instead of living the life that he was supposed to have. And I put supposed to have in quotes because what is the life that a Latino man from a family of migrants supposed to supposed to live? What is that life supposed to look like? We all have an idea that comes into our head. And Oscar, as you heard in his introduction, has really transformed that paradigm for himself. We spoke about why boys rebel without a community there to witness and receive them, and how venturing into the dark waters and challenging our limits is a natural part of going from boy to man. Why every boy is going to have to do that in order to become the man that he wants to be and to cross that threshold into manhood. So we need to create communities to support that. We talked about the need to process anger and release it so that we don't burn down the village and how healing generational traumas can really bring massive, massive change into an entire legacy of people. How anger and grief that we don't even know we're carrying is living within us. And we don't know why we're carrying it either and what to do about it. Without further ado, my man, Oscar Perez. All right, welcome back, Rising Man crew. Got an awesome, awesome man here for you guys this week, a brother of mine. We connected about a little over a year ago, I guess, at this point, and have been I've been tracking his journey for a while. My man, Oscar Perez, from up in the Tahoe area. How are you doing today, my brother? Good, brother. Good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing really well, man. Doing really well. And, and looking forward to this conversation, we, we decided that where we wanted to jump into was how 
we as men as in as in this society still carry so many masks and disguises for what's really happening beneath the surface and also social expectations of what we think our life is supposed to look like whether we're choosing that or not and so i know you've got a great angle on the story man really excited to have you here and especially bringing in the wisdom that you have so let's start with this what is the difference between a boy and a man the difference between a boy and a man is that a boy thinks that the world is here to serve him and a man realizes that he's here to serve life. And it's a big transition that rarely happens, I think, in our society that comes from the person realizing that their life is going to end and realizing that since all of our lives are going to end, what we're in service to is everything that continues beyond our physical life, right? My physical life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that becoming a man requires having an an understood or a felt confrontation with that fact that we're going to die with our own death. And then realizing through that also Mm. that countless things have died so that we could live. So, so my Mm. life is the product of an endless amount of sacrifices. And in order for me to really honor the gift that I've Mm. had in, in my 38 years, I have to spend my life dedicating everything that I have to the continuation of that of life living, you know, with the capital L, not just mine, not just the life of the people that I care about or that I know, but Mm. the lives of people and things, right? All the many expressions of life that are in places that I will never get to physically experience. Mm. There's a few words that come to mind just hearing you share that humility and gratitude. I remember confronting this very topic that you're talking about, my own mortality in my mid twenties even beginning to question, am I, I'm going to die, accepting that that's my fate, that there's no human that's lived on forever. And then when am I going to die? And that was a whole internal journey for me, thinking that if, if I can't imagine what my life is for, does that mean that I'm going to die soon? Like, am I going to walk outside and get hit by a bus? That was a journey for me too. But then really connecting to what you shared about appreciating that my life will someday end and that many others' lives have ended so that I could be here, and that I am the product of generations and generations of prayers and effort and, and contribution from my ancestors that allowed me to be here, to, to drink water, to complain about the weather, and all these things that are so surface level relative to what is my life really for. And I, I'm glad that you encapsulated that the way you did, because that is the mission at the heart of all of it, right? That is the core especially for us as men, is to connect and to identify what that is and to fully live it. Absolutely. I think the fact that we don't have any community-based and community-supported ritual processes that make us aware of our own, not only our own mortality, but our indebtedness to life creates a condition where many people are perpetual adolescents. And if you look at every single species Mm. in nature, there comes a point where an individual of a species needs to stop being an adolescent. Otherwise, they bring the whole species into chaos or they, they create the potential for, for the survival of that species to be, or that community, right, to be endangered. And um, mm-hmm. like I remember once doing this primitive skills class and one of the instructors had this perfect analogy for it. And he was saying, it's like a bird in a nest. A juvenile bird will sit there and will make noise, right? Will constantly be begging to be fed. Um, well, if it doesn't at some point 
realize that it has to leave the nest and be the one that feeds itself and starts to feed others and it just stays in the nest making all that noise what it does is it attracts predators right and it puts at risk everybody else that's in that nest Mm. right leading into the future and that really struck me and i've thought about this idea of what it means to be a man since i was a little boy like i remember the first time thinking about it i was 10 years old and i remember the exact situation and I remember it hit me at that point that where I was standing in my community, in, in my family, there were no examples for me of what it meant to be a healthy man. And, mm. you know, the last 28 years since then have been this process of looking, not looking within myself and then also looking to other people, looking for elders, which are like very, very few and far between, right? That have a real understanding of this. And like elder in the sense of somebody that's gone through that whole process of of initiation and of understanding the the larger context of what we're a part of and what we're in a sense indebted to. And I like using that word indebted, even though it's really loaded. It can bring up a lot of shit for people. (laughs) Yeah. But I think it's, for me, it brings up that idea of, oh, okay, like, my life is, it's not an entitlement. It's not just a given. It's, it's something that comes from somewhere. And that somewhere that it comes from, I need to give back to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, I really want to highlight this wisdom you shared about the, the juvenile bird that's always asking to be fed, that's always looking for something yeah. or someone else to serve it. And I think that's it's such a relevant metaphor, especially for for the millennial generation. You know, I think a lot of times millennials we catch a bad rap, but the that where there is evidence is that there is this sense of I am deserving of being fed because that's all I've ever known. I never really learned how to feed myself, and so it's two ends of the spectrum. You know, we, we've done a disservice to these young people because we haven't pushed them out the door or, or pushed them into the fire to help them figure out how to do it themselves. And at the same time, you know, when, when we start to become of age, it's up to us to, to take that stand ourselves and to step out of that. And one of the parables or messages that I've received in the ceremonial community is about juvenile eagles. And I think you may have heard this story before, too, that they're one of the most revered and celebrated of, of the birds because as juveniles, they fly higher than any other bird. And in order to test themselves, in order to see what they're made of, to walk their fire, their rite of passage is flying all the way into the stratosphere and to the point where they lose consciousness. And then they start to plummet back to the earth and then they wake up and start flapping again. And these juvenile birds have to do this over and over and over again until they've tested their limits to the point where they don't need to fly that high anymore. They know what they're capable of. They've tested themselves and been humbled by that. And now they can settle in. They can change their plumage and can begin to mate. It's, it's, and, and this happens all over the animal kingdom. I love looking to nature for wisdom because we're part of nature, even though sometimes we forget that Absolutely. by the way we live our lives and now. It's, that's a beautiful lesson. It's a beautiful teaching. And it's so true, especially as young men, those of us that don't have that structure that allows us to, to have that experience, right, of, of being tested in that way. We run out and we seek it in all these pathological ways, in all these crazy self-destructive ways. Mm-hmm. And you can't have that process completed without the community. 
Like there needs to be a witnessing also, right? And I think that's part of what's so beautiful and what's so powerful about what you're doing mm-hmm. with this podcast, with all the work that you're doing, is creating the opportunity for other men to realize that there is this growing community of men to witness men becoming men. Because in large part, I mean, mm-hmm. I so I work a lot with teenagers and I work with teenagers in, that, in at-risk, so-called at-risk communities. Although nowadays... It's the lines are really blurred about what at risk youth means because it's across socioeconomic status, it's across right. all these different kinds of demographics that we're seeing this intense rise in suicide rates and in rates of, of self disclosed suicidal ideation among young people. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that comes back to not being witnessed not being seen. And as young men, we go out and we seek these kinds of experiences. Mm -hmm. Because if you think about that young eagle flying into the stratosphere until it passes out and plummeting to the earth, that's a creature that's testing the boundary waters between this world and the next. And when it's tested them enough, when it's learned what it has to learn, it stops doing that. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes rooted in its life here. Well, young people are constantly doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. But without a container to hold it, without that witnessing piece with people mm-hmm. that can say, okay, like we see you and we, we see that you've gone out into those deep waters and that you've come back and you've brought wisdom back and we can honor and acknowledge that wisdom. Without that piece there, mm-hmm. it just keep going further and further out into those deep waters. And a lot of them don't come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming away with a, a huge like mind opening realization here that even using the term at risk to speak about young people, it, all, our, an entire, our entire generation of young people is at risk right now because of the absence of these things you're talking about, you know, and we get to really take ownership of that and appreciate that if our, if the youngest generations are at risk, then humanity is at risk well, they're the, because of the things that we're not providing for these young folks. The proverbial canaries in the coal mine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. They're letting us know where we're heading yeah. or what's coming if we're not taking care of them. Well, and I know there's going to be a lot of young men who are listening to this who may be in that position. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of men who are listening that are in the process of flying into the stratosphere, of of dancing in between the worlds to test their boundaries and see what's there for them. So I want to give a little more context for the audience about you and your story. And let me, let me ask you this question and see where it goes. Based on how you grew up, because like you said, you didn't grow up with these ways. You didn't grow up with these teachings. You had to seek them out yourself looking for elders and guidance. So based on how you grew up, what was your life supposed to look like? <laughs> a lot of people in the community that I grew up in never left that community. They settled for, mm. for pretty routine lives. And, and the general tracks were, it was like that high school to prison pipeline. Mm. There were a few people mm-hmm. that, that went to college or would just get into some kind of trade or something like that. But yeah. The ones who made it, right? Quote unquote. Um, but they're pretty like flat lives. So like... It, it's that prepackaged life where, you know, you go to school, you get out of school, mm-hmm. either keep going to more school or get a job. You find somebody, you get married, you have kids, you buy the house, you stay in some job that you're probably not all that into, but everyone's got to work and work sucks. And you live that life, hopefully until you retire. And hopefully you've got something to retire to. Mm-hmm. You spend your days after work going home, turning on the TV, cracking open some beers and just sitting in front of it, numbing the hunger, the desire to, to feel more, to be a part of more, to be connected to more. 
you know, there's a lot of people living these pattern lives of desperation. Mm -hmm. And I was always the person that questioned, wait, why, (laughs) why? Like there's no, there's more to what we're here to do, more to what life is than just following these patterns over and over again. And just being satisfied with this mm-hmm. image and materialism based perspective on life, right? I grew up in a, in a household and community where there's a lot, a lot of shame mm-hmm. and a lot of wearing these masks of everything being okay on the outside while people are falling apart on the inside. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the, it's, it's the curse of that illusion of normalcy mm-hmm. and in in an immigrant community, I mean, both of my parents were born and raised in Mexico, right? They came to the States. I grew up right on the border. So they came to the States and settled here shortly before I was born. So there's this whole element to, to growing up in, in a recent immigrant community and seeing the kinds of self-imposed limitations and self-judgments as well. Hmm. Speak into that a little bit more because I'm, I'm interested also in, as, a, as, a, as a man from an immigrant family, uh, and a minority, a Latino man, what was your life supposed to look like based off of that? What were the expectations that you received or even maybe started to believe about yourself? I think one of the one of the key things that stands out to me when I think about it is this idea that you just you have to fall into the identities that are given to you by the institutions around you, mm-hmm. which means to a certain degree, letting go of your language, mm-hmm. letting go of some of your beliefs and traditions in favor of becoming a part of this mainstream idea of what it means to be American. Mm. And also, like, not to question, not to question people that were in positions of authority, not to question institutions that were in positions of authority. Because if they realize that you're here and you're questioning it, they're going to get rid of you really quickly. Uh-huh. And, it's, and it's interesting because there's a lot of voicelessness there. Mm-hmm. Right? Voicelessness is probably the best way to put it. In the older generations, and then in the younger generations, there's a lot of anger. You know, because of that. Actually, I would say that anger, actually, it, it exists in the older generations too, but it, it was more subdued. The way that I saw it, like in my mom's generation and in my generation, especially with me and my friends coming up and stuff like that, like we were really, really angry people. And Do you believe that that anger gets passed on? Like, do we, do we receive that anger? It gets passed on through the generations so that maybe it boiled over in, in your generation because of how much it had been suppressed? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And then I also think that there's the cultural aspect of it where the only emotion you're allowed to demonstrate publicly, to express publicly, is anger. Uh. Because even expressing happiness or joy can only happen to a certain extent before people in your own community are like, well... Who the hell does he think he is, right? Mm. Walking around all happy, right? Like, doesn't he realize how messed up life is? Interesting. And I'm, I'm holding myself back here, man, because I don't know to what degree I can, what kind of language I can use. No, no, no. Go there, man. Any, anything yeah. goes, truly. Okay. <laughs> awesome. awesome. But yeah, all of, the, all of the grief, all of the sorrow, all of the fear, all of that is filtered through the lens of anger. Mm. And so let mm. anger, anger becomes this illusion of power. And for me personally, it, it was, it was an anchor point for my identity for a long time when I was growing up for a long time. Mm. And I didn't realize until my early twenties that walking around living that way, being pissed off at the world, being pissed off at, at the, the things that I'd had to go through growing up mm. and externalizing everything was really just poisoning me. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's go here for a second. Cause I've been under the impression and the belief that 
anger is not something that's publicly accepted. That in fact, a lot of people walk around with a smile on their face when really there's a lot boiling beneath the surface. And so tell me more about your, your angle on how anger is the only thing that is publicly accepted. Cause I think maybe you're talking about it within, within your community or within amongst you and your peers. Tell me more about that. No, I'm definitely talking about it within my community. Mm-hmm. If you follow me, you'll see that one of my favorite words is chingon. Mm-hmm. Right? Chingon means badass, right? Mm-hmm. But it comes from the verb chingar, which has all kinds of different connotations to it in, in Spanish and Mexican Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in a community of people where everybody wanted to be the chingon. Right? Mm-hmm. And to be the chingon, you had to, you had to be the tough guy. Right. Mm. You had to be the one that like people didn't know. Oh, you don't want to you don't want to fuck with that guy because you don't know when he's just going to blow up and kick your ass. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I mean. Like there's this, this like this idea, this machismo that is attached to that anger and, and walking around carrying that kind of anger that like don't fuck with me attitude. Mm-hmm. And that's largely based in a ton of fear, a ton of sadness and and a ton of um, insecurity. But. But in this very machista community that, that I grew up in, it's held as the standard, mm. right, for what masculinity is. And that's what I mean. Like when I was 10 years old, I looked around me and I was like, fuck, there's no men here. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of scared ass boys walking around doing violent shit. Mm-hmm. And, and that really struck me. And in my resistance to that, I became that. Hmm. You know, and it wasn't until years later, um, I had a pivotal moment in my life when I was, when I was 21, I, um, I caused a car accident. I was with one of my best friends and we'd been drinking, I had no business driving. And at that point I was still very much in this like state of, of, uh, like just living with all of this repressed sorrow, masked as anger, masked as rage. And so, you know, fuck the world. Yeah. I lost control of my car. And my car went through the city fence and stopped about a foot from a power generator, mm. a foot, about three feet from a power generator. And my best friend and I were really, really lucky that night. Like I didn't, I didn't find out until a little while later that what happened was that my car had hit this curb and it had bounced up and come down on a landscaping boulder. And like the boulder, the stone people saved my life. The boulder, it like gutted the undercarriage of the car, but it stopped it. Mm. Otherwise, I w- we would have gone right into the generator and that would have been that. Right. That night, for lack of a better term, I had this awakening experience. And it was very much like, like someone speaking to me. And it was my first moment of lucidity where I saw all of the stories that my identity was created out of. All of the stories that that like my whole sense of being was wrapped up were wrapped up in, right? Or was wrapped mm-hmm. up in. And I realized that there were all of these victim narratives that were displacing my sense of responsibility for what I felt, for where I was in life, for everything that was going on, onto other things and other people. Mm-hmm. And a part of this like vision that I had included the awareness that if I kept living that way, it wasn't going to lead to my own death, which is where I thought I was headed at that point. So right. I kept, I just, I just kept flying up there to see when I wouldn't wake up before hitting the ground. That's what I was going to say, man. It sounds like this was your, this was your juvenile Eagle testing your limits moment and Absolutely. having that, that's that near death moment that snapped you into consciousness, into, into curiosity yeah. and, 
and, and, and you sharing that, it makes me curious about the machismo because we hear about machismo all the time, you know, it's whether it's in the Latin community or any community for young men. Uh-huh. And the trap of that culture of the machismo is that sort of like the antidote for it, the, the vulnerability, the, the processing of grief instantly deconstructs that entire manifestation of an identity. So as soon as the macho guy flips the script, takes his mask off and reveals himself what's happening beneath the surface, that identity has gone. Absolutely. And that vacancy, I imagine, is, is terrifying to face and also painful if there's not something there to receive this man. Absolutely. And, and so it's interesting because I had this whole experience and what it led to when I realized all of that stuff was the context for it was that I didn't know whether or not I had hit somebody else when I crashed. And it hit me that night. I was in, in uh, this tiny ass jail cell in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And it hit me that night that this path that I'd been walking on with all of this anger and all this like self-absorbed, this juvenile behavior was not just putting me at risk, it was putting innocent people at risk. Mm. And I have no right in my life to risk the lives of anybody else for the sake of these narratives that I had, that I've been carrying. And at the heart of all those narratives were these really, really deep wounds. And it was like, when I was able to see the stories, when I was able to see the narratives, it was like this like cocoon of stories that had been wrapped around me, right? Ripped open. And I literally fell to the ground and I wept and wept and wept and wept and wept. And, and I decided at that point that I was going to take full responsibility for anything that came up as a result of that accident or otherwise. And it was a massive shift in my life. I mean, I went on to do a whole bunch of things that, that at, at that point in time or any other point in time in my life before that, people would have said weren't possible. You know, mm-hmm. I climbed a bunch of mountains that weren't mine to climb, <laughs> but, I climbed, <laughs> you know, like, and almost 10 years to the day from being, having that realization, being in that jail cell, I walked away from an academic career that I had established. Like I went on to, to not only be the first person in my family to go to college, but I got a full paid ride to an Ivy League doctorate and I finished that. And then I got a contract teaching at, at Harvard and I did that for a year. And then I walked away to start the organization that I have now. Mm-hmm. And all of those things in the way of, thinking that I came up, that I was born in and that I was living through up until that point, there's no way, there's no way any of that stuff would have been possible. So, Mm. so that whole like mask of machismo, that's why I say it's, it's the illusion of power. Mm. Real power is in the willingness to shed that and to step into the vulnerability that we all carry Mm. and to step into the grieving that's necessary Mm. for us to let all those things go. So how do, so how do men access that? Cause there is that, there's that deep desire for the soul to, to reach out and to, to find, that's why they, a lot of times they, they say that somebody who's suicidal is, is a cry for help. Right. And if we, without the drama of that, if we just look at it, they're, they're asking for support, the support that they need to reveal themselves. Cause it's, you know, you, like you said, you had this personal reflection on this, but I'm sure that there were people that supported you in your discovery and, and in your processing of, of, of who you are and processing the grief of everything that you'd received. So what's, what do you see as the solution? We need more communities of men that have this awareness, holding mm. that space for other men. Mm. Mm-hmm. We need ritual, like real ritual 
ritual that has that that unseen component to it and that provides those kinds of tests for young men to measure themselves by. Mm-hmm. And we need people that are that have gone through those experiences to be willing to be guides and to hold that space for younger men and for older men. Mm. Like I, I dedicated myself to the work that I do now when I left that academic world seven years ago. And I work with people ranging from 14 to 70, you know, because mm. it's across the board. It's like something that you said earlier when you're we talking about millennials, right? Like mm-hmm. everything being given to millennials. And so never millennials never having been tested well that didn't come out of a vacuum it's like all the preceding generations led up to that as well so all the preceding generations also have this hunger in them to experience lives that have greater depths to be seen and to be witnessed in these ways as well you know so it's interesting because there's there's this dual side to it young people might be asking themselves okay well who would i reach out to or what do i do but old people are also or older people are also walking around asking themselves well, what's what's the purpose of anything that i've done there I've elders need younger people as much as younger people need elders mm-hmm. and for anybody that's listening to this to seek out people, I mean, anybody to seek you out, to see how people that, that you've interviewed that they feel aligned with, you know, to, to become involved in the virtual communities that, that are out there that you're exposing people to as well, mm-hmm. you know? And I think a big challenge to that also is, is, is this idea that you got to walk around like acting like it's that whole myth of competence, right? You got to walk around <laughs> acting like you, you're on top of your shit. You know everything. I was listening to your to your last podcast a couple of days ago, and I was thinking about a comment that was made on it that you know we walk into a room full of guys, and we're automatically sizing them up, mm. and we're yeah. sizing each other up, and we're thinking, yeah. okay, where do I fit in this? Like, who am I? I think it was you that said something something to the effect of like, who do I need to take out? <laughs> and it's true. It's true. Like that's really ingrained in us. And I think that there's a part of that that has to do with, with a healthy, natural sense of competition. But there are very few arenas where that sense of competition is expressed in a healthy way. And at the same time, it provides all these barriers to our reaching out to one another, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I, I agree. And, and I, you know, I've come to realize that men like my, yourself, myself, this conversation is happening more. And at some point, this conversation will be normalcy, like you said, re- redefining a new normal here. And at this point, at this stage, at least I assess it to be men need to hear this invitation over and over and over again for it to finally click because those defense mechanisms, the armoring strategies, the not letting you really see what's going on beneath the surface ways of being a man in this world are so strong. Yeah, they are. And they're so deeply embedded in how we show up in the world because there's so much fear around really being seen and that fear of looking incompetent or, or appearing as though we don't have it all together. And so there's men like yourself and other men that have been on this show who are leading the charge and saying, look, I don't even have my shit together. In fact, my life is working out better for me because I lead with this is where my life is not all together. This is where everything is not all, all, all put together in a nice, neat package, you know, because that's, that's what we all want. And yet it takes guys a lot to get to that place. I know it did for me. It still does. If I'm being fully transparent, it's a daily thing, man. It's funny. It's like, I do these, these like daily teaching, like based on the themes of, of the Toltec ritual calendar. And today that's, that was a big one. It was like, what I was talking about was the challenge of authenticity and the fact that that's it's a daily 
challenge. Like not even daily. It's a moment to moment thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's true. I don't think like we're, we're working to heal or to shift patterns and paradigms that are hundreds and in some cases thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen in this like miraculous instant where it's mm-hmm. just over. No, it's like the, we keep working on that in our lives so that maybe, maybe seven generations from now, it's not a thing. Exactly, man. Exactly. I, I just had this huge realization this past weekend that the work that I myself and my wife and, and men like you, other people in this in this field are doing, it's a lot of work for one lifetime to take what we received from our parents and what we're giving to our kids. Just that just this exchange from my parents to my kids is a huge gap Absolutely. to navigate. It's a huge gap. And, and I don't expect for it to be complete in my lifetime. And that actually gives me a little, it, it puts a little less stress and pressure that I've got to figure it all out now. And yet it fortifies my own sense of, I get to, to I get to reach as far as I can with that baton so that my great grandchildren feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, absolutely, and that puts us back into the larger order of things, the larger web of things, where we realize like that we are contributing in everything. Mm-hmm. I like to talk a lot about about the ripple effect, and for me, it's funny. I always go back to in my mind. I always go back to Enter the Dragon to the Bruce Lee movie, <laughs> and that saying. But it's a Zen saying, right? But he says, "Oh no, it's not in that. It's actually in a Bruce Lee interview where he says you drop a pebble into a pond and it creates ripples." Mm-hmm. And soon the ripples cross the whole pond, right? Mm-hmm. Every single action is dropping a, pond, a pebble into the pond mm-hmm. of every day. And it's not like things are just going to shift magically and to see completion of our endeavors in our life. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of being able to, to develop that bigger scope of things and to say, no, like my life is here to serve life, right? The capital L with everything that I've got mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in every way that I can without the expectation that it is going to reward me directly in the ways my ego wants rewards. That's the one right there. That's, that is to me the liberating truth that allows us to really step onto our path and really start walking and forging ahead is not expecting that all of this hard work and effort is for our benefit. Cause that goes right back to full circle. What you said about a boy and a man, right. even that, even having the expectation that, okay, I'll put in this hard work. I'll be of service to my community so that I can someday relish and appreciate the result is still making it about me. It is. It's still expecting that my actions are going to come back around and take care of me versus that pure definition of, of man of adulthood where my actions are of service to something greater than myself. And at some point I'll lay down and become the soil and those ripples will keep traveling after I'm gone. Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, that's, that's a life of meaning. Mm-hmm. And the alternative is institutionalized in the idea of retirement. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's simple. It's simple when you look at it that way. And, and yet we know that this isn't a leap that you can take. Men are not going to listen to this podcast and suddenly have that realization that snaps you out of it. There is the support that's needed. There is the processing and the deconstructing of beliefs, of patterns, of ways of being and thinking that we all get to do and be a part of. And so I'm glad that I'm glad you're doing the work you're doing, especially for the Latino community and all these all these other communities that are calling you forward right now. You know, you shared a you shared a lot of uh, you know behind the scenes stuff of these you know these opportunities that are arising for you that you didn't expect, and 
And I think that's such a, a signature part of the journey of a man is being able to listen for where his medicine is being called into. Yeah. And to, and to know when that calling is true. It is leaning into this uncertainty <laughs> and it's yeah. like constantly like going back to, okay, so why am I doing this? And if the reason that I'm doing this is, is bigger than me, then I can keep doing it. I can get up and I can keep going. If I, if it's like, I'm here to serve something that is so much bigger and just me. Mm-hmm. And it's a blessing to me to be able to, to be alive and in this place to give everything that I've got to give to serve that larger thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, at least a big part of that has been, has been learning in ritual, learning in ceremony, you know, having that, that reweaving happen where, where like now, like the context for my thing, for my, for the things that I do and for my thoughts, you know, I got to keep coming back around to, okay, well, what's that seventh generation going to receive from this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is, what is the ripple that I want to make now that's going to hit my great, great, great grandchildren, right? You know, that generation someday. And I think there's, there's this beauty to that, this beauty to this idea that when my words and my actions come to fruition, the people that get to experience them will not even know my name. Mm. Yeah. I love that, man. I mean, that, cause I, I come from that, that Buddhist mentality, that Buddhist background. I think there's a lot of the teaching in Buddhism that, uh, that applies and is relatable to the seven generational way of thinking mm-hmm. and to, to take ourselves out of it without taking, with, to still be a part of it and participate in it, but not needing to feel the, the impact of it or, or the for my benefit of it, but for the benefit of some, someone, some people in the future that will never know me. I I just love that, man, that, that humble warrior's journey, you know, like doing the right thing when nobody's looking just because it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. I think that's the definition of a man Mm. right there, right there. Yeah. I think that's the definition of an adult period, Mm. but since we're speaking of men and two men, I think that's what it is right there. Boom. And, and there's something that one of my teachers says that in his tradition, they believe that the spirits of the children are, are around us all the time watching what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Everything you're doing in your life on a day-to-day basis is laying down the example for what those next generations are going to do. Right? Mm-hmm. And whether you believe in spirits or not, if you take that into, into some kind of consideration with who you are and how you are, Mm-hmm. It, it shifts what's at stake yeah, and, and it makes you think, okay, well, what is it that I can do right now in this moment that's, that's a little, that will benefit whoever mm. or whatever is, is watching and to still have the compassion and the understanding with ourselves that we are human beings hmm. you know? and be able to like hold that kind of paradox of like, I have this standard for, for the way that I choose to live. And at the same time, I'm fallible and I fuck up sometimes and I need to be able to forgive myself for that and have compassion for myself for that. Yeah. But That's also so learn from that right thing, there, right? Like learn from it yeah. and just not keep doing it. Not be in a state of like, oh, well, I'm perpetually forgiving myself because I keep repeating the same pattern. Yeah, man. That's... That's been a huge one for me. And I'm glad that I, I'm glad we can start to wrap it up on that note, because all this I know this conversation of purpose. I know back, thinking back to when I was just discovering this and feeling starting to feel powerful and intentional in my life, the need to do everything just right so that I could get far enough ahead to where I was actually making an impact was so much pressure. So and it wasn't until it wasn't until an older man said, dude, why do you think that you're going to be the first person in the history of people to do it all right? And to not fuck up. And I was like, oh, okay. And it wasn't licensed for me to go back to just being uh, careless. 
Right. But it was a permission to be gentle with myself in the process. Yeah. And so that, that's a, that's a great point to leave that on, man, because I think that's amidst everything we said, that is like, ugh, take that, hold on to it as you're walking because you're, you're going to slip, you're going to fall. And it's all about how you recover. <laughs> well, there's this thing too about, about the scope of our expectations. One of my teachers is a uh, Filipino martial arts. And he told me at one point, because when I was younger and I'm talking like 10 years ago, probably like around your age, it's just all fired at, at that mm-hmm. point. Right. Mm-hmm. Like train oh, hard yeah. every day, all day. I've heard you speak about your journey as a father and how, you know, that's, that's your, your life and your practice and your ritual. It's, that's mm-hmm. amazing. It's beautiful. But you know what it's like when you're when you're like when you're not a father and when you're just young and full of fire and just training all the time and and, uh, and like I would get injured and I'd get right back up and just keep going. And then this teacher of mine told me at one point he said, you know, he said in the Filipino martial arts they say that you don't reach your prime until you're in your 80s. <laughs> yeah, I, I know why, but tell us, tell us why. <laughs> He's like, so what are you in a hurry for? Mm. Hmm. He was like, you're hung up on this illusion of, of completion, let's say, right? or this idea that you're going to get there and you're going to become the thing or the guy or whatever. He's like, and in the process, you're, you're missing the whole journey mm. and you're wrecking yourself to prove to yourself that you're this thing that you won't even get to until you're 80 years old. If goes well and you're blessed with 80 years. Yeah. And, and also on a mechanical level, man, because I, I know some of those guys in the Capoeira community and I've seen demonstrations of masters in their 80s and other martial art disciplines that because the physical body is not as strong at 80 as it is at 25, you have to be so efficient with your movements and your energy and intentional with how you direct that, like way more than you need to in your 20s, 30s and 40s. Sure. So that in order to be able to compete with people or or to to participate in that with people half your age, you have to be so dialed into what you're doing. And that, and that's really the the journey of mastery is to be able to do more with less effort. Yeah. That's the manjinga that the masters talk about, right? The malicia. Yep. Uh, that's it, man. That's it. <laughs> well, definitely a topic for another time, man. I know there's a lot that we could talk about. Let me hit you with some lightning round style questions. You know, one word, one sentence answers, and then we'll wrap it up here. What is one thing that you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? Oh, patience and humility. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What, what would be the message of patience or the message of humility that you would share? That we've, we've grown up or I was brought up in a world believing that nothing I did was ever good enough. Hmm. And so I would exaggerate the parts that I thought were stood out above other people. And in the process, I lost um, opportunities for genuine human interaction, but also opportunities for growth, you know? So I think realizing like, it's not all that severe, take time to learn and have the humility to accept the people that want to teach you. Awesome, man. I love that. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? For me, it's service. Service. Simple. Simple. I love that. Especially encapsulating the whole message you had here today, man. That's awesome. Where can guys who are listening find out more about you, follow you, learn to work with you? What are the links? What are the places you want people to go? People can hit me up at Oscar at tendingthefires.com. My website is tendingthefires.com. Or they can also hit me up on Instagram. Like I said, I put up daily lessons 
also at tending the fires. Dude, your your Instagram account is amazing, man. I, 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 when, I when we when we reconnected, I started to really follow what you were doing, and I was like, oh my god! So you guys you guys got to follow Oscar what he's putting out there every day, man. The tending the fires on Instagram is. It's amazing what you're doing, man. I really appreciate that. Just and even just that service, like each one of those lessons you put out is a pebble in the pond. Yeah. And uh that's great, man. Thank you for the work that you do and and for taking the time, man, weathering the cold, the the internal cold and the external cold to be here, man. I really, really appreciate you, bro. And, and everything that you're you, doing man. in the world. Thank you. I love what you're doing. And it's such an inspiration. And honestly, it's like it's it's very meaningful because for for me in my personal journey like i've felt the majority of my life like i was out in the wind alone mm-hmm. and seeing this seeing what you're doing having you reach out man, it means a lot and and being able to connect with this community of men it's, it's phenomenal it's so beautiful so thank you so much for what you're doing mm, it's an honor man uh, honor to be in this work shoulder to shoulder by your side man and Plenty more to do. We'll catch up further down the road, my brother. Thanks for taking the time today. All right, bro. Thank you. When I first met Oscar, it was like recognition, soul recognition immediately. I mean, talk about a brother who's in the ceremonial space, who's walking in these ways, who's also a martial artist and a capoeirista. My man, we just connected right off the bat. And it was really great to finally have this conversation with him and to capture it for all of you. I trust that each of you got as much value out of this as I did, especially being able to listen to a Latino man speak about his experiences and how he has created a life that he wants. I'm just so grateful for that because I think it's empowering for other men of minority backgrounds to hear this and to see, ah, there's another brother who made it, who made the life for himself that he wanted. So make sure you guys follow this man, check out everything he's doing because he's doing some great work up in Northern California. Call to action, fellas. Join us in the Rising Man Fire Circles. The next one is April 27th, 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can join the Rising Man Fire Circles on a regular basis by heading over to patreon.com slash rising man and supporting the Rising Man podcast at the same time. At just $33 a month, that gets you access to our Rising Man Fire Circle community. All the amazing benefits of being able to sit in that space with men on the rise. So please make sure you do that today. We want more of you men, more brothers joining arms with us on this journey. Check out the show notes for links and resources at therisingmanpodcast.com. As always, please give us a follow, a subscription, a five-star rating, comments, reviews, all the good stuff wherever you listen to us, whatever podcast app you hear us on, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you're listening, please leave those reviews. They do go a long way. You guys have heard me mention it already. We're starting to get ranked on the charts of men's podcasts and we want to make it to number one. So help us out. Keep the mission moving by leaving those comments and those reviews. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast. If you don't follow us already, my man Rowan Tyne, who is also at, at Rowan Tyne, T-Y-N-E on Instagram. Check him out. His work is off the charts, man. He's really doing some incredible things. If you are looking for some support with your social media or other production, visual production needs, make sure you hit up my man right there. He's the truth. And I've got your audio covered too. My man, Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X. He's got your audio needs covered and your branding needs covered. These guys are making powerful moves in the world. I'm telling you, I'm not joking around. This is my power team making some powerful moves in the world. My man, Julian Subic and Mark Rose also got some incredible things that I'm sure they're going to be announcing to the world in the coming months as well. The things they're doing in their lives. I'm surrounded by men living into their greatness truly and grateful to have their support making this rising man movement move so thank you brothers thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you and every one of you out there listening thank you thank you for tuning in until next time rise up and claim your destiny